Here's a pitch on the way. He swings and fouls it off, and the man from Walla Walla will take that one home. Swing, there's a drive to left. That one is long gone. Now, I might have been a small part of your life, but you've been a very large part of mine. And it's my privilege and honor to share with you the greatest game of all. What's going on, Nation? AJ Riley here with your next edition of The Corner, coming off of an offensive onslaught against the Cleveland Guardians, which led to a sweep. We're going to recap that. We're going to preview the upcoming series with the Chicago White Sox. Then we got a few things going into the leadoff and the peanut gallery at the end. And in the leadoff this week, I wanted to talk about something that I know is very near and dear to the Detroit Tigers fans' hearts, and that's the trade that we made before the season for Austin Meadows giving up Isak Paredes. And we look back on that trade now and we say, man, another mistake by Al Avila. But I want to tap the brakes on that. And the reason why I want to tap the brakes on that is too often we sit back and analyze moves post when they happen as opposed to looking at them in the moment for the decision that was made and saying, you know what, that was a good deal. Because I, at the onset of this deal, this was a good deal at the beginning of the season. A deal that was precipitated by the fact that Riley Green, who's been phenomenal, was not able to start the season with the Tigers because of his fractured foot. So we had a hole in the outfield. So they make a trade with a player who, when he has been up in Detroit, had not really played fantastic, hadn't really forced his way into the lineup, but was younger. He's only 23 years old. They take that player who's blocked by Jamer Candelario, also blocked by Jonathan Scope at second base, and they flip him for an outfielder who had produced. He had uh, 37 home runs, I believe, in 2019. He had 27 home runs um, a year ago. Just a, a good offensive left-handed bat that played a pretty good defense in the outfield. A hole that we had. And on the surface level, that was a really good deal. But now we get a continuous barrage of people that look back and go, man, can't believe it. they messed up that one again. Can't believe they let Isak Paredes go. But the question that I want to ask and the question that I want to talk about is with what Isak Paredes has done, 13 home runs in the first half, 157 weighted runs created, which is 57% above major league average. One, is that sustainable? We've seen this before in Detroit. Brennan Bosch comes to mind. Chris Shelton comes to mind. Of guys who have phenomenal first halves, but then the league adjusts to them and they struggle in the second half. It's possible. It's possible that they struggle, that Paredes will struggle. But the other question that I want to look at and I want to think about is, did Tampa Bay unlock something that the Detroit Tigers could not unlock in Isak Paredes? A.J. Hinch was asked this question. He said, I don't know. There was an article written by Detroit Sports Nation about the disturbing nature of that answer, that he doesn't know if Tampa Bay was able to unlock something that, that the Tigers couldn't see, and that doesn't fall on A.J. Hinch. Tampa has been 
renowned for the way that they have developed players and flipped farm systems for contending players. But my big theory is that Isak Paredes should probably still be a Tiger because he just did not get enough run in Detroit. When this deal was made back in 2017, I believe it was, when they traded Alex Avila and Justin Wilson for Jamer Candelario and Isak, Paredes was actually the better of the prospects, the one with more upside, the higher ceiling. He's still only 23 years old. He still is coming into his own as a Major League Baseball player. Now his profile, he profiles as a less than athletic player, which really hurts his ceiling. But he definitely has the tools and the skills to be a very good Major League player. And I think that Detroit may have given up on him too early. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a bad deal because on the surface, this was a deal that needed to be done. But a few weeks ago, I talked about what if Riley Green had been up from the beginning of the season? Would this season look a lot different? And I think that we could absolutely say yes, that it would. Because one, this deal's not made. Two, if Candelario and Scope are struggling, you have Paredes who you could throw in there to make some waves maybe for the Tigers. So... I don't know if it's necessarily a fact of Tampa Bay being able to just have this magic potion that unlocks so much of what these players are, but maybe there just wasn't enough run given to Isak Paredes. At the end of the day, he's got to continue to do what he's done for the Rays for this to mean anything. If he does not have a second half like he had a first half, then maybe it is a Brennan Boss situation. Austin Meadows, we know, has struggled, and that's made the deal look even worse. Zero home runs in the first half, multiple times on the IL and time away with vertigo and on the COVID list and now Achilles strains. So it's made the deal look worse. But from a baseball perspective, we can't look at this and say, oh, this is a failed deal. We have to look at it and say this was a necessary deal to fill a hole that was in the outfield because we didn't know at the time if Willie Castro could play the outfield. Akil Badu is not a great defensive player. He can be flashy, but he's not a great defensive player, which really only left us with Grossman and Derek Hill at the time. So making this deal for Austin Meadows was a necessary baseball move, and you don't have to like it. You can look at it and regret it. Sure, I understand that. But at the end of the day, it was a deal that needed to get done. And that's the leadoff for today. So let's jump into this broomed Cleveland Guardians series where the Tigers brought out the brooms and swept them right out of Detroit. Four games in three days, doubleheader in the first game, or doubleheader in the first day, and then games on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. And man, the offense was clicking. There's not a lot that I really want to say about this series because if you watch the games, you saw what took place. The offense was phenomenal. But what was even more phenomenal was Garrett Hill and his debut. His six innings, two hits, one earned run, three Ks, the one of the best debuts in Detroit Tigers history. And it really came out of nowhere. I told you in the preview that I was just looking for him to get four or five innings. He went six and kept a decent Cleveland Guardians lineup at bay. The Tigers ended up winning that game four to one. 
Then they came back in the nightcap and won 5-3. Fajardo did leave that game early with a little bit of a hip injury, but they do expect him to make his next start. And then the floodgates opened. On Tuesday night, they just ran out there 11-4 and just set the tone. They really took this series, coming off of the horrible series that they had against the Royals. They really came out and did exactly what they needed to do. And then yesterday, on Wednesday, when they won 8-2, to two, and you had Eric Haas hitting another home run, who is now tied for the lead in home runs on the team with seven, which is pathetic at this point. But Eric Haas doing what Eric Haas does. Cody Clemens also coming through with a home run in Game 4 to lead the Tigers to a sweep of the Cleveland Guardians and bringing their record to 34-47. and 47. 13 games below 500 and moving into a series that's going to be very pivotal. There's one thing that I want to say about this series with the Cleveland Guardians, and that is this. This was the best baseball that I've seen the Detroit Tigers play all season long. And they have 13 more games in 12 days before the All-Star break. It's a great opportunity for them to build on a great opportunity for them to maybe go on a little bit of a mini run before the All-Star break because they have a doubleheader against Kansas City coming up. They also have a doubleheader against Oakland coming up after the All-Star break. So there's a lot of baseball that's going to be played in the next two weeks, and it's something that I think the Tigers can take what they did in this series against the Guardians and try to continue to recreate it, getting those timely hits, hitting with men in scoring position, putting up more than one run per inning, but multiple runs per inning, and really building and hopefully going on somewhat of a mini run. They Think about their last seven games, right? They lost their 5-2 and two in their last seven. They lost the series to the Royals. We understand we, we lit them up for that on the last episode of The Corner. But we want to make sure that we are giving credit where credit is due. And the baseball that they played prior to or during this game or series against the Guardians was absolutely fantastic. Now, before we get to the preview of the upcoming series in Chicago against the White Sox, I do want to remind you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell, hit that thumbs up, and you can also follow me on Twitter at DSN at the corner for Detroit Tigers news and updates, scorecards, different things like that. So let's go ahead and let's get to the preview of the Chicago White Sox hosting the Detroit Tigers for four games starting Thursday night, which is going to feature Dylan Cease against Bo Brisky. Now, Cease is, according to Fangraphs, the best, 11th best pitcher according to the Fangraphs dashboard. He comes in with a 7-3 record, a 13 Ks per 9 innings. He walks about 4 batters per 9 innings, has a very elevated 3.16 batting average on balls in play, but he has a 251 ERA and a 271 whip. So it's going to be very difficult offensively for the Tigers. And we've seen Dylan Cease a couple of times now. So hopefully they can take some of that into what they're going to do Thursday against him and hopefully push some runs across the board. Brisky sits at 1-6 with a 5.97K per 9, a 2.99 walks per 9, 
a 248 batting average on balls in play against. He has an elevated 454 ERA and an even worse FIP at 540, which means that he's getting rather luckier in the field what his actual pitching metrics would indicate. Game two on Friday night is going to feature Lucas Giolito, who's 5-4 with a 10.63K per nine and a 3.46 walks per nine against Tarek Skubal, who, according to Fangraphs, even with the recent skid, is 16th best in the MLB pitching-wise this season. Skubal comes in with a 5-7 record, and he's striking out about 9 per 9 innings, about 1 an inning, has an elevated 3-11 batting average on balls in play. His ERA is elevated at 4.06, but his FIP is actually 3.47, which means he's pitching a lot better than the results would actually indicate. On Saturday, Johnny Cueto, who's 2-4, and four, striking out about 7 per 9 innings, is going to be facing off against Garrett Hill again, who made his debut against the Guardians on Monday in Game 1 of that doubleheader. And we've already talked about what he did. Six innings pitch, two hits, one earned run, and three Ks. Game four, the finale of the series on Sunday is going to feature Michael Kopik, who is two and six, with striking out about eight per nine innings, walking four per nine innings against Drew Hutchinson, who really means that the Tigers have a bullpen day to, to end the series. Hutchinson's going to give him about four or five innings, and then they are going to move on to that stellar bullpen that the Tigers have had all season long. Now, in our previews, we always do, what does the opponent do? What do they not do well? And what can the Tigers take advantage of? They are a very good base running team. They have a 3.1 BSR, which puts them in the top half of the league. Their starting pitching is actually better than what the numbers indicate. We've seen it. They can be very dominant with very high strikeout rates. They can keep teams off base. But then, they also have two hitters in their lineup, Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu. And... Those guys can make and create havoc for the Detroit Tigers. So they have to take the approach that they took with Jose Ramirez, who they shut down in this Guardian series. That's part of the reason why they were able to keep that offense at bay is because they really did not let Jose Ramirez get going, and they've got to take a similar approach specifically with these two guys, specifically with Jose Abreu, who just lights up the Tigers every time that we play them. Some things that the White Sox do not do so well. They're not a great defensive team. They're 26th in the MLB, according to the Fangraphs dashboard, but they also have a negative seven defensive runs saved. And this was this bad defense facing a bad defensive team was actually key to the Tigers' somewhat success when they faced San Francisco, who also is an equally bad defensive team. The key here is to put the ball in play which I know that we need to do to play baseball anyways. But if the more we put ball, the ball in play, the more we have the opportunity to put the pressure on a defense that's not that good and push runs across the plate. If we allow their pitchers to dominate, to strike us out, our strikeout numbers get really elevated, then this is not going to be a good series. The goal for this series would be a split. Okay, You're playing a team that is a pretty good team regardless of what their record indicates, but a split would be phenomenal. Winning the series would be icing on the cake. Getting building into that stretch of what the ball that you've been playing, remember five and two over your last seven, kind of building on that and winning two or three games in the series would be phenomenal. They can do it, but it's going to all depend upon their approach at the plate. 
So let's move into the peanut gallery and let's talk about the elephant in the room with Eduardo Rodriguez. The curious case of Eduardo. Rodriguez has thrown 39 innings for the Tigers this season. One of our big offensive or off-season signings. Opening day starter. But he has not pitched for the Tigers since May and has not drawn a salary from the Tigers since June 13th when he was placed on the restricted list. Now, it was reported that he was put on the restricted list for personal reasons, and those personal reasons were marital reasons. And I hope that everything is working out well for him. But what's curious about this situation is that the Tigers, on Wednesday it was reported by Alavila that they've reached out. They've tried to get in contact with Eduardo Rodriguez. But he has not contacted the team. They don't know what's going on. No idea where he is or how he's doing or when he will be back. And that's curious. Maybe it's a little bit of signer's remorse. I don't know. I don't want to create a controversy that's not there. But it just seems strange that even though you're dealing with personal reasons, and listen, there are things that are bigger than baseball. Marital problems, personal reasons are bigger than baseball. I get that, 100%. But we should at least be letting our employer know what's going on. Just a check-in, not every day. But you've been out for almost a month on the restricted list and nobody's heard from you? That's curious. Now, Eduardo was a good signing. Should he have been the opening day starter? No. It should have been Casey Mize. Eduardo's not the type of pitcher that has ever led a pitching staff. He shouldn't have been signed to lead a pitching staff. And with what's going on in this situation, it just seems strange. Eduardo, I hope that everything's okay. I hope that things are getting figured out. But you gotta let us know what's going on. You gotta at least check in so that we know that we don't have to send out a search party for you. It's getting strange, and it's going to continue to get strange the less that he communicates with the team. Eduardo, I hope that everything's well. But I'd like to know, and I know the Detroit Tigers specifically would like to know, what's going on? Can we expect you back? If you need the year, I understand that. Staying on the restricted list, I get it. I'm sure they would get it too. But communication is key in situations like this. So let's communicate. That's going to do it here on the corner. I'm A.J. Riley. Looking forward to a good series against the Chicago White Sox, building on what the Tigers did against the Cleveland Guardians when they brought out those brooms and swept them right out of Detroit. We will see you next time recapping this White Sox series and previewing the upcoming series at the beginning of next week. Until then, and as always, Go Tigers! I'm a kid and you know I be on the way.